technically we should be Muhammadin. Heaven lies under the mother's feet as well. You don't move the pillar because your pillar is set. It's not news material. Thank you very much for this opportunity. So I'll, I'll, um, I'll tell you what Islam means from the definition of the uh, root word of the Arabic word. So Islam comes from the root word salama, which means peace. All right. So Islam generally is sleep and the uh, peace. And the only way how you can attain it is by willful submission to Allah. That's essentially what Islam means, that any person who willfully submits to the will of Allah will attain peace. And that's how a person is a Muslim. So for me, Islam was all about connecting with your Lord and connecting with your Lord the way how he expects or he wants you to or he created you to connect with him. That for me is Islam. And by doing that, you attain peace. The last question, I actually mentioned that because Allah has created us and the only way how we can attain peace is by connecting to him. I like to think of it as any creator would have a means of communicating with you i mean we don't we, we have a car we have mobile phones we i work in an aviation industry we've got an aeroplane manufactured and created so we expect a sort of a manual given by the creator so that you can actually understand the machinery better the most complex of machines in the world is the human body itself so when when god almighty has created you you don't expect him to leave you without a manual you don't expect that you know, what is, what, why, why shouldn't I lie? You know, or why shouldn't I steal? Or why, why should I give water to the animal? You know what I'm trying to say? These are the things which, why should you? I'm, you know, so I, for me, the way how I think of it, any manufacturer would give you a manual. And Allah, the creator of the heavens and the earth, has given a manual to his best of creation. Allah actually mentioned in the Quran that we, human beings, are the best of his, best of his creation. So to the best of the creation, he would have given the best of um, um, a, a manual. And the best of manual amongst all the manuals what Allah has given um, is the Quran. So for me, Quran is my guidance, my um, way of communicating with Allah um, um, so that I can attain um, what he truly uh, meant, uh, what he truly wanted but through, through creation, through, through creating us. You know, it's, it's a manual. It's, it's a guidance. It's a, it's a booklet for me to understand my creator better so that I can attain the ultimate reward, uh, which is heaven. One of, one of the biggest um, uh, critiques of the Quran is it's a book of rules. And the, this critique comes from people who actually haven't read the Quran. You know, and it's sad to say that even the Muslims who consider the Quran to be um, a, a true guidance from Allah, I don't think they've actually read cover to cover um, of, of Allah's book themselves, uh, let alone the non-Muslims. If you actually look at the entire Quran, entire Quran, about 5% are actually do's and don'ts. Actually, about 3, three to 5% are actually do's and don'ts. Like, don't. Uh, don't go near uh, adultery or, or don't um, uh, take uh, interest, you know, um, be dutiful to your parents. So these are strict, pray, you know, give zakat, 
these are direct rules, do's and don'ts by the Quran, by, by Allah, which is only about three to five percent. The remaining 95 percent is actually, um, how do I explain to you, uh, is actually um, stories of the prophets to understand our day-to-day life. You know what I'm trying to say? It's easy to give rule books without actually giving you examples. So um, if we don't have, if we don't, if we don't connect on a human level, and prophets were human, uh, they they go through the same uh, problems that we have: marital problems, uh, leadership problems, uh, physiological problems, physical problems, mental problems, family problems. And all those stories which Allah has given in the Quran relates to us so that we can understand that it's not some um, abstract uh, rule which is there and we can't relate to it. So the entire Quran for me is a sort of um, uh, stories of the messengers and the pious predecessors as to what they went through and how they connected to Allah and how they came back. And it's, it's really beautifully given in Surah Fatiha, which is the beginning of the Quran as well. It's so beautifully given that uh, Allah, we ask Allah for guidance so that we can be guided. And Allah says so beautifully in the last, uh, say, last half of the Surah Fatiha, where He says, Please guide me to the straight path. But which is that path? Of those whom you chose. And those examples are also given in the Quran. Now, who are those people who got the guidance, the right people? Allah has mentioned in the Quran as well. Not of the people who actually went astray or who went against you. And those examples also given in the Quran. You know what I'm saying? So I think I find it so beautiful that the richest man on earth, the most powerful man on earth, Fir'aun, his story is given there so that we don't become like that. At the same time, you've got, you've got people who are as Habil Kahaf, for example. Today is Friday, it's such a beautiful day, and we recite the Surah Kahaf. And so people of the Kahaf are not prophets. They are not prophets by in any measure. They are just people like you and me. And their only positive point was they believed that only Allah was there. Allah is one. That's it. I will not believe in anybody else but Allah alone. So um, how their story uh, implements or, or impacts us is what, I find so beautiful in the Quran that it gives you examples in present circumstances. Apart from the 3% rules, rules if you may call rules and don'ts. This is a very beautiful question which people usually ask, especially in today's, um, today's day and age. As I told you in the beginning, Allah has given many manuals in the past, many, many books. Quran was, is the last of the books last which means the last latest revision that's it after this there's going to be no revision there were many prophets which were sent before and after that prophet Muhammad is the last prophet and there'll be no other prophet or messenger after that so how is it relevant to today's, today's day and age and this is a very common question asked by by the western world where it's, in, it's, it's about 1400 years old so it's um, so it can't be implemented today what's beautiful about islam is islamic moral values will never change. What was wrong thousand years ago is wrong now, and it will be wrong thousand years later as well. Right? There is no other way uh, how Islam... Islam doesn't budge. Islam does not believe in politics. So if theft is wrong, it was wrong before, it's wrong now, and it'll be wrong later on. You know what I'm trying to say? If, if committing adultery was wrong before, 
committing adultery right, right now and committing adultery later on is also wrong. You can't change that. But what happened is people, I realized that, let's, let's put it this way, we don't have to go 1400 years ago. Let's go about 100 years ago, last century. Last century, women in the Western world, in England, used to wear the used to wear full dress, for example. You know what I'm saying? You could watch tennis players with long skirts, women, for example, with long skirts, which was a norm. And anybody who used to deviate from that and used to wear maybe a, a skirt above the knee, for example, was looked down upon. Because 100 years ago, wearing skirt tennis players was considered right. But what happens is, in Advent, Slowly, what happened was um, 50 years ago, the dresses started becoming smaller because you started getting a bit more liberal, if, if I may say so. And today it's considered okay. If that's the case, I believe that in the next 50 years, the lesser the clothes become, the more free you would become to a point where actually, you know, you can be, you should not be having a string attached to your body at all. Islam doesn't go with that. Islam has got a set moral values that we don't change with time. The dressing sense which was there before is going to be the dressing sense today and tomorrow as well. You know what I'm saying? The relationships between people will, those things will not change. What was wrong before is going to be wrong today, is going to be wrong later on. Those things will not change. Regarding science and, um, uh, you know, other, other technological advances, Islam goes hand in hand. Islam doesn't say that the world is flat. You know, it does, Islam doesn't say, and all of a sudden we've changed it right now. No, Islam doesn't say all that. In fact, all the things about uh, the scientific or the technological advances which people have um, found or, or, you know, have, have found out today are well, well with, 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 with Quran. Quran doesn't go against science. You know what I'm trying to say? Although people do try to find science inside Quran, if they get it, great. If they don't get it, Islam was not, it's not a book of science. What sort of uh, example do you have in your mind where you would want justification or ask questions that Islam is not for present? If you can ask me, I can actually answer that question. They're cutting uh, black and white rules in the Quran, uh, black and white rules on the sunnah, from the Sunnah. But obviously, these, these questions about IVF uh, was not there in, in there. So what happens is scholars um, who have put their lives um, into their stu into studying Islam in different aspects, by the way. Islamic Islamic scholarship is very varied. You know, like how you have MBA in finance and MBA in marketing and MBA in sales and strategy X, Y, Z. Islamic uh, scholarship is varied as well. So you've got an Islamic scholarship on Quran, Tafsir, on Hadith. And so, uh, so, um, uh, and in, you know, in inheritance X, Y, and Z. So those scholars who are there, who are very reputed, they are the ones in conjunction with the present doctors, you know, try to understand what their aspects are. You know what I'm trying to say? And that's how they are the ones who give the rulings. Considering technology. So now no, no, no uh, scholar is going to say an iPhone is forbidden. You know what I'm trying to say? There's, there's no, no scholar would say that. But how do you interact? So for, it's actually a good, very good example which you give. Many people have this question, can we read the Quran in the toilet? You know what I'm trying to say? It's a, it's, it's a very genuine question. The Mus'haf, which was there pre earlier, the Mus'haf is never not allowed to be taken to the Quran, to the, to the, uh, to the toilet, because Quran is a very pious book, but you don't take it to the toilet, which is, which is a najis, which is an unclean place. But now what happens is people have got Quranic apps on their phone. So now the question asked is asked is, you know, Quran is not allowed to take in the, in the, in the toilet, 
But I have my phone. I've got a Quranic app inside, and that can I take it inside inside the inside the toilet. So the the scholars now they try to put bridge two things together. The phone people do not buy an iPhone for the Quranic app. People buy an iPhone for communication, or phone smartphones for communication. But inside the toilet, don't open up the Quranic app. So that's how you bridge the technology with the Islamic ruling. I hope that sort of gives you an answer as to the bridge or you're talking about. Many people identify a pious Muslim to be uh, a man with a beard or a woman with a hijab. Identification, right? Physical identification. Whilst both are important, I'll come to that, I'll come to, I'll come to physical identification later, whilst both are important, Islam puts its stress on the internal identification. You know what I'm trying to say? By internal identification, I mean of how you treat others. Now, there are so many seerah and there's so many sunnah of the Prophet, peace be upon him, where he says, the best amongst you are those who are good to their neighbors. The best amongst you are those who are good to their wives. You know, the best amongst you are those who pardon. You know what I'm trying to say? Um, <clears throat> do not make, do not uh, make food without making something more for your neighbors. You know what I'm trying to say? Greet others with peace. These are the traits of a human being. These are the traits of a true Muslim. Um, the Prophet ﷺ, peace be upon him, also said, the best, amongst my, the best amongst my people are those who are good to others. You know what I'm trying to say? So those are the identification of the internal, uh, the internal identification of a true pious Muslim, to a point where even the Quran says that um, there are certain Christians, Christians, who are actually Muslims. Because of their deeds, their, because of their, their um, beautiful conduct. You know what I'm trying to say? This is what the Quran says. They, that they might be, even though they, they're termed as Christians, but deep inside, deep inside, they're actually Muslims. And I told you in the beginning as well, Muslim is a person who willfully submits to the will of Allah and attains peace. These people who do good things are actually submitting to the will of Allah. They're doing what God asks us to do. So those are the internal... Um, uh, identification I was talking about. The physical identification, what people ask is about the beard and the, and the hijab, and I'll try to address that. It's like, <clears throat> it's like when you see a cop outside. You see a cop, cop's car. You see a cop in a uniform. You see a doctor with his stethoscope or his or her stethoscope with a, with a you know, uh, with a, with the apron on. Uh, you see a chef with a hat. These are physical ideas. You don't know how good that chef is or how bad that chef is or how cruel that chef is with, 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 the, with his staff. You don't know whether the police, the cop is corrupted or not. But physically, you identify that this is a cop. If I'm a thief, you know what? I'm, I'm supposed to be aware. If I see a cop and I'm driving at 140 kilometers an hour and my speed limit is 100, the moment I see a cop, you know what? Automatically, I put the brake on. Now, I don't know whether that cop is good or not. But physical identification allows me to be aware of my surrounding and, you know, I press the brake. You know what I'm trying to say? Again, I do not know whether he or she is a good cop, good pilot, good cabin crew, good ground staff. We don't know that. Right? It's the internal conduct. And, and the, so Islam puts two and two together that you identify this person, he or she is a Muslim. But more of an identification which Allah alone knows is the internal conduct is the internal. You know what I'm trying to say? For me, that's what the entire essence of a Muslim is. You be so that people identify you as a Muslim and your conduct speaks as a Muslim.
I'm trying to say. So what happens is in today's day and age, if somebody says, you know what, um, a Muslim um, uh, is Mr. T. I like to call it Mr. T, a terrorist, for example, right? They, they just say the Muslim is a terrorist, whatever. But your neighbors should say, you know what, Muslims are not like that because my Muslim is a very good person. And I've seen a Muslim around you because his internal conduct has already spoken to you. There might be some bad apples. Yes, absolutely. And those bad apples are in every community. But what happens is as a true Muslim, for me, I mean, your question was, how would you want a Muslim to be? I want, want a Muslim to be who identified as a Muslim physically, but more so his internal conduct should speak for himself. Muslim comes from the root word Salama, Salam Islam, and a person who, who, does, who, who follows Islam is a Muslim. You know what I'm trying to say? So any person to a point where, you know, this is very funny what you ask. I, I, when I speak to my, when my Jews and my Christian uh, friends, I actually tell them that Jesus Christ is actually identified as Muslim in the Quran. Prophet Abraham is identified as a Muslim in the Quran. You know, Moses is identified as a Muslim in the Quran. And that's why I told you that although we consider them or the Western media considers them or, you know, our Abrahamic uh, brothers who consider them as Jews and Christians. Um, and this, again, it's so beautiful what you just said. Christian is a person who actually follows Christ. So technically, technically, people would, would want to argue that saying that people who consider Muhammad, uh, peace be upon him, as, as his prophet, technically we should be Muhammadin. Technically. Christian. Christ, you know, people who follow Jesus Christ is Christian. People who follow Buddha are Buddhists. You know what I'm trying to say? Um, so, um, um, so you would expect us to be called as Mohammedans, but Allah chose no. It's not Mohammedan because we're not we're not identified by a person. We're identified as people who submit. So that's the reason why a Muslim and this this name again is not chosen by you and me because we would have chosen you know name Scientology or. We would have chosen, you know, we would have chosen those names. This name is given divine by Allah Himself. You know? And it's so beautiful that it comes from the root word salam, and one of Allah's beautiful name is a salam. He is peace. So the, the peace, uh, Allah has given that name, Muslim, to us. This name is, has got a propriety right by Allah Himself. No, no human being can claim that we told our community to be called Muslim. The reason why Quran says Ibrahim, Abraham, and David and Adam and Jesus were all Muslims is because they willfully submitted to the will of Allah and they attained peace through it. Quran was revealed in 1400 years ago. So when the Prophet said that, you know, this ayah is Muslim, you know, Muslimun and you are from amongst the Muslims. So the word was there that time. Yeah, otherwise it would have been a new, new word altogether. Celebrations in Islam are only two. There might be occasions which are several, which are very auspicious for us. And I'll give you an example. The, the, uh, at, uh, the ascension of the Prophet Sallallahu to from Medina from uh, from Medina to uh, Aqsa and then the ascension from Aqsa to to the heavens is an auspicious day, but we don't celebrate it. The birth of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu is a very auspicious one because you know the, the best the best cre no, the best human being on the planet Earth was created. It's an auspicious day, but we don't celebrate it. We don't celebrate, all right. Celebration is meant only two, and those are the two Eids. One is the Eid of, of Ramadan, just after Ramadan, and one is the Eid which is just going to happen, inshallah, after a week uh, to celebrate Hajj. Um, so, then, and I'll tell you, the celebration of Ramadan uh, is, 
Um, earlier, the the Islamic capital, if you may call it, was Jerusalem. That's where all the Abrahamic faith was. That that was a, we used to face that direction as well. We used to face the direction when we used to pray. It's very beautiful. Not many people know this, but we used to pray in the direction of all where the Jews used to pray towards Masjid Aqsa. And then obviously, a Prophet Salasan used to love the Kaaba. He used to love the Kaaba, and he always used to feel. So what happens is, in, if you look at it on ge- geographically, when Prophet Salasan was in Mecca. He used to pray towards Aqsa whilst facing the Kaaba as well. He used to. But when he migrated to Medina, when he used to pray to Aqsa, he was not facing the Kaaba. So he actually felt that, oh no, I want to see, because the Kaaba was made by Prophet Abraham, and such a whole significance. So he says, now I'm praying towards Masjid Aqsa, but my heart is, you know, it's towards, you know, I want to see the Kaaba. And all the Prophet Sallallahu peace be upon him did was he just looked up in the sky. He just looked up in the sky. And Allah knows, Allah is closer to you than your jugular vein. So Allah knew it. And subhanAllah, and, and then the ayah, with, and then there's a verse in the Quran which says, today we have changed your direction. We have changed your direction. So the direction of Muslim prayers will change from Aqsa to Makkah. Now what happens is, when you change the capital, when you change the capital of any country, it is like, um, it's like a new country has been born. You know what I'm trying to say? The country of, if you may call, if you may call Islam as a country, a new community, a new country has come, and now the capital has changed from Jerusalem, uh, from Masjid Aqsa to to Makkah. You know what I'm trying to say? And ma, ma, Ramadan is the month of Quran, where the Quran was revealed, and Quran, as I told you, was a it's like a constitutional book for us. You know, when you have a new country, you have a constitutional book. Generally, you celebrate the entire constitution as one day. So July the fourth, one day holiday. No, January 26th for Indians, one day, Republic Day, you got independence. No, 14th of August or 15th of August, you got independence. So we celebrate one day. But Ramadan, post-Ramadan, Ramadan was actually a celebration of the entire constitution of, of, of Islam. So our celebration was one month. Ramadan was one month of celebrating that. The new capital has come, subhanAllah, month of, month of Quran, we changed it. And now to celebrate what we did for 30 days, the celebration, the Eid was there. Eid, Eid, and to, for Eid of Ramadan. That's, that's our celebration, and those celebrations for three, for three days. Now, the next time the, uh, celebration is, is what we'll have after, after three days, and this is the uh, pilgrimage, Hajj. Um, again, this Hajj is not something which Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu invented. It was not there. It was the Hajj was there even during the time of Prophet Ibrahim salam, later on because he's the one who, who made the Kaaba uh, along with the sun. For us, uh, Hajj is one of the five pillars of Islam. It's very, very important to us. So this completion, which is the completion of Hajj, is what we celebrate. Um, ninth of Zul Hajj, ninth of the twelfth month of the Islamic calendar is considered Arafat. And Arafat is a very, very, very auspicious day for us. In fact, the first ten days of, of Zul Hajj, uh, according to the Quran, Walfajr, uh, Walayalin, Ashra, Adab, these are the, and Allah promises by these beautiful ten days, the first 10 days of the 12th month of the Islamic calendar are very, very, very auspicious, very beautiful in the eyes of Allah. So when we complete the uh, Arafah, when the Hajis, uh, when the people who actually go, for the, the pilgrims who go to, to Arafah, when they perform their pilgrimage, uh, and it's a beautiful, I can, I can go, on, go on and on and on about what, what Arafah, the, the, the significance of Arafah is. When the people complete it, um, and in order that they've completed the Yawm al-Arafah, you've completed the Hajj, in order to do that, they celebrate um, that completion of that pilgrimage. That's what the second uh, Hajj is, Eid al-Adha. 
uh, adha also comes from the word uh, you know here which you sacrifice and that it's related to ibrahim alayhi salam why ibrahim alayhi salam was tested by allah to say you know go and slaughter your own son again and prophet uh, and uh, ibrahim alayhi salam you know he was ready to do it in the in the cause of allah but allah wants wanted to test him and that's what that's the time when the ram came and uh, prophet ibrahim alayhi salam slaughtered a, a ram instead so and that's what we do we do a dhiyah uh, we we slaughter an animal um and then give the the meat to 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 the poor people and to our relatives and that's the celebration the celebration is actually celebration of hajj so only two celebration many auspicious days but only two celebration so basically there are five pillars of islam and the first one and first one without which the other four will crumble uh is believing that there is only and only and only one god who is worthy of worship and the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam peace be upon him is his final messenger no more messages after that um after that the second one is we pray five times a day these are the mandatory prayers uh so that's salah in arabic it's called salah so those that's uh, prayers um the third one is we uh, saum which is we fast in the month of ramadan 30 days of fast in the month of ramadan uh this is mandated on anybody except the traveler um and you know women who are in their courses or uh who are pregnant the fourth one is zakah zakah means purification and zakah means Two and a half percent of your annual savings is to be given on charity to poor people. Savings, not your annual uh, earnings, right? And the fifth one is Hajj, which is performing pilgrimage once in a lifetime. So those are the five uh, pillars of Islam where we should do um, prayers. Uh, so uh, the believing in one Allah uh, and Salah, these two on everybody. Uh, fasting is also on everybody but it is exempted for people who travel and obviously they have to recompensate later on uh, zakat is not for the poor people there's a there's a limit there's a limit given once you cross that threshold only then you have to give zakat and, and give to charity people and riyam al hajj is uh, the hajj is also for people who can only afford it many people who can't afford it so it's not mandated on them so essentially if you actually come to look at it what's mandated on every person poor or to the rich is actually two or three believing in one allah salah fasting if you can zaka and uh, Allah has made both man and women equal they are equal but what what what, what scholars say they equal but they are not identical they equal absolutely in the eyes of Allah they both are equal the only thing changes in the eyes of Allah are their deeds and that's how every man is as well you you don't say a black person is better than a white person and that was the last um, servant of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as well that he said the arab is not better than non arab the white is not better than the black x y and z it is your amal it is your deeds which separates you so allah has already put a criterion so i meant man and women allah don't the, the criterion is deeds the criterion he has made them equal but they're not identical and the reason why they're not identical is because obviously physically they're different emotionally they're different psychologically they're different so and they so what happens based on that your roles and responsibilities differ you know i say yeah, i i like to think up i like to think of it like a um like a like a f- football team for example you know, i'm going to just give you an example you know you have a striker you have a midfielder you have a defense and you have a goalkeeper all with different skill set they all one team they all playing for the same cause to score goal on the opposite end you know and our goal is 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 heaven inshallah taala 
But what I'm trying to say is, but based on our skill set, the roles and responsibilities are changed. You don't expect the goalkeeper to go and strike and score a goal. If he does that, he opens up the goal and somebody else will go and score a goal. But if it's required, if it is absolutely required, last minute, you've got to score the goal, otherwise you're out, then he can change roles or he or she can change roles. So changing of roles is allowed in Islam, but that is not the criteria. So when you talk about women in Islam, not many people know this, but I'll tell you, the biggest scholar of the Prophet's time, after Prophet passed away, was his wife, Aisha Radhilana. I don't know what the percentage is, but I would say overwhelmingly, maybe 70% plus of the teachings of the Prophet was given by his wife, Aisha Radhilana. To a point where the, khali, the, 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 the Khalifa, Umar Radhilanhu and Abu Bakr Radhilanhu, they would come and they, they would talk, they would discuss, because there are few things that Aisha Radhilanhu knows of the Prophet in, in, in their house, and she would say that. A lot of the uh, hadith is by uh, Aisha Radhilanhu. To say so, the scholarship, people, women, their hadith in the, 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 uh, from the Sira. We also understand that there are women who also question Omar Radhiallahu as well. You know what I'm trying to say? So you find uh, instances in the Prophet's life where women used to complain, women used to seek political asylum, if you may call it. You know, women used to go to the Prophet and say, you know, my husband beats me. My husband does this to me. You know what I'm trying to say? And Prophet used to, you know, solve it then and there. You know what I'm trying to say? So the role of women... Uh, SubhanAllah, and the Prophet also said that you know, heaven lies under the mother's feet as well. You know, to a point where I actually get, sort of get jealous as well, because the Prophet has placed, especially, especially the mother's role. SubhanAllah, I can't, can't imagine. The Prophet, uh, uh, a man goes to the Prophet and says, you know, who amongst the creation holds the highest, my rights? Whom should I, who holds the highest rights or, or love or responsibility? You know what I'm saying? He said, your mother. Okay, who after that? Your mother. Okay, I understand that. But who's after that? Your mother. Okay, who after that? Then your father. You know what I'm trying to say? It's, it's like mother, 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 then father. It's like, you know, if it was Olympics, the mother wins all the three golds. You know, gold, silver, and bronze. You know, poor father gets only a consolation prize towards the end. You know, what I'm trying to say is that's the role, that's the status of women. A woman. They, you know, there's a there's a... There's a surah, surah Maryam, dedicated to, to the lady, you know, to Maryam alayhi salam. So, um, when Allah says that heaven lies under the, under the feet of your mother, um, also uh, the responsibility or, or telling you that taking care of your child, you know, we all are working people, taking care of your child. The, the moment you have that bond, the mother and the child has the bond, mother becomes, it's creating a next generation. The next generation, the moral values, essentially, essentially the moral values, of, you know, comes from your mother, because the father is generally out there. Now, I'm not trying to say don't don't get don't get me wrong. Women work as well, and that's okay, perfectly fine with Islam. But I'm trying to say generally, the bond time is generally with the, with the mother, you know. So they are the ones who make the next generation. You know, Prophet said, "The best amongst you are those who are good to their women." Again, as I told, telling you, so this, what is the status of women in Islam is pretty high, pretty high, you know, from the examples what I gave you. But obviously, the, the narrative is not as such in, in, the, in the Western world, and that's because they haven't dug deep into uh, 
to our history or our sira. So th- that's that's how that's the Islamic concept. You don't so even when there's wars, for example, you don't touch women, you don't touch children, you don't touch old people. That sort of chivalry came from long time ago. That doesn't mean we look down upon them. No, it's like we will take care. We want to take care. We will open the doors for you. You know what I'm trying to say? Not to show down. No, no. It, it's a different narrative. It depends how you actually portray it. The image of Islam was so clean, isn't it? Amazing. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, no. Let me put it this way. Um, the good things which people do are never a news. <clears throat> it's not news material. But the bad thing becomes a news material. And in today's day and age, when you look at it, where you want to have sensation, you know, a, a person slapping somebody in, in a car park is not news, right? But a bearded man wearing a skull cap slapping somebody becomes instant news. And I'm being very calm and quiet about it. I'm just saying slap, let alone, you know, having a dagger in his hand. But th- that's how you sensationalize things. If you're trying to say that, and unfortunately, the same thing with, with uh, I like to think, even the African people as well. You know, you say, oh, if there's a theft, must be a black guy. Are you suggesting that the white people don't? I'm going to say, bad evil is evil, irrespective of size, color, religion, gender, evil is evil. But I, I guess I would like to think of it as the, the narrative and the news. It becomes big news when, when a Muslim does it or a woman with a hijab does it. Again, we're talking about the external identification, right? You can identify a Muslim easily. You can identify a Muslim very easily. So how we can improve? Well, we are trying our best. I mean, as I told you, nobody highlights the fact that 2.5% of our annual savings goes in charity. We are the biggest charity givers in the world. Biggest. But nobody knows about it. So you know what I'm trying to say? Because we don't, these are things we do is between Allah and us. Should we highlight it and say, you know what, oh, billions of dollars went to X, Y, and Z place because, you know, this Muslim did it. We, we don't, that's real, that's showing off. And showing off people, we don't believe in showing off. You know what I'm trying to say? So we do our, as I told you, we do small things. We are good with our neighbors. We are good with, with our colleagues. We are good with our teachers. We are good with our subordinates. You know, we're good with the delivery boy, X, Y, and Z. And that's how you would get that, you know, you know, this guy with the beard or this woman with the hijab, she actually helped me out. They are the ones who will make it's a ripple effect. You don't, you do it with sincere intention and then it just spreads. And try to contain it down and you know, try to contain it as much as you can, but the Western media won't, won't, won't allow it to happen, you know. You know? So um, just do good. Uh, read your book. You've got to be educated. We Muslims are not educated. Unfortunately, we are not educated. We read the Quran without actually understanding the Quran. We read it. We've got to do that. Uh, the, the, the lessons which I told you, 70, 80, 80, 85% of the stories are there. Read it. Understand the, the, the life of the Prophet because that's very relatable. That the biggest ambassador of Islam is the Prophet Muhammad. Nobody can reach us. Nobody. All right? The biggest ambassador. But what happens is if I go to the Western world, if I go to UK, if I go to Cambodia, if I go to Laos, you know, and a person sees me pray, I want, I want them to say, I am the ambassador. I am the ambassador. So I will ensure that I will do good. Because he may not know. He may just see that some guy with a black flag is waving things. 
But when he actually sees real people doing real work, his mind will change. I think that's what we must teach. Do small changes, but good changes, consistent changes. Allah loves consistency. You know, this answer I won't give the answer. I'll give the I'll I'll give it to answer. It was given to me by my Creator Himself. It's beautiful. This is this is there in the Quran. This answer is there in the Quran. This answer is there in the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's teaching upon his life. Quran again and again says, "Iqam as-salah." Establish your prayers. I love this word. Quran doesn't say pray. Quran says establish your prayers. And the word Allah mentions is iqam. Iqam means calm. Calm means to stand straight. Absolute light. It's like a pillar. Stand straight. Pillar. So what happens is in your house, for example, if you've got a big pillar there, you move your furniture around that pillar. You don't move the pillar because your pillar is set. So Allah is trying to tell you, Iqama Salah, have your set foundation. Your foundation should be prayer. All your life revolves around Salah. Everything revolves around Salah. Why? Because you will be distracted. You will be distracted. You are driving, you're stuck in our traffic, somebody cuts you off, you're stressed. All of a sudden, it's time for Zohar. It's time for Zohar. You park your car, you go and pray. Zohar prayers. The second, midday prayers. Why? It's calming you down. Establish your, you've got a meeting. You're really, really stressed for that meeting. You've got, you've got your deadline coming up. And Allah, and, and Allah knows this. And He's already given you this. Pray. We've got five times prayers. If we, even scientifically, psychologically, if you start thinking, you wake up way early in the morning, four o'clock. Way early. And, and, and scientists say that. The earliest morning time, people go yoga, people go jogging in the morning. Why? Because it's calm and serene. It, it helps you calm down with all the stress around the world. So you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Do your wazoo. You know what I'm saying? Do your wazoo meticulously. Pray in that calm manner. It helps you. It prepares you for the, for the day to come. You finish your work. It's your time coming up. 5 o'clock, you're about to finish off. It's time for asr. Go and pray asr. You come home. It's Maghrib time. Sun is set down. You're trying to unwind. Want to put your leg up. So yes, unwind. Absolutely. Go and pray. Aisha time, pray and then sleep. Because you study the day early, sleep early. This consistency, I think, we, we have that. We, we Muslims have, we are the proud owners of this. Really proud owners. Getting up early in the morning, five times prayers, establish it. It will calm you down because you know that whatever happens, you calm down and you seek, you know, you seek help from your, from your master, from, your, from, from Allah. I like the azan. I love the azan. The azan is a call for prayer. Where the uh, Muazzin, the person who gives the uh, call, he says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. It actually means Allah is greater. It doesn't mean Allah is greatest. Very important. He says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allah is greater. But the beauty is, uh, it doesn't say Allah is greater than what? You want to know Allah is greater than what? What is Allah greater than? Allah is greater than your cricket game. Allah is greater than your socializing. Allah is greater than your meeting. Allah is greater than you purchasing something. Allah is greater than you traveling. Anything, Allah is greater than that. Do that and then come back. There will be barakah, there will be blessing. So to answer your question in short, the way how we can calm down amongst all the distraction, this has been given so beautifully and we are the only custodians of this. SubhanAllah, I want to, I want to add this one thing. Prayers is there for everybody. Everybody, every faith prayer by whatever means they want to. They either pray like this or they pray like this. However, 
And we have that as well. Muslims have that. We call it dua. This is dua. We can do anytime, anywhere. Salah is exclusive to Islam. No other one has. No, nobody else has. It. Nobody goes through this process of cleaning yourself, ensuring that physically and spiritually you're pure. You do this physical exercise whilst you're communicating with Allah through His words Himself. You're reciting passages from the Quran. You're connecting with the with the, with your Creator. Why are you creating? You all you're asking is. Ya Allah, guide me to the straight path. Guide me. I'm distracted. Guide me. I have these problems. Guide me. That's all we ask. When minimum 17 times in a day, we ask for guidance from Allah. You know, minimum 17 times a day, we ask for guidance. Allah, please guide me, guide me, guide me, guide me. So, yeah, all your distractions, you will still be distracted, but at least it channelizes, you know, where you, people will put you down. I may have hope with somebody and, you know, how many times is the person going to help me? How many times? One, two, ten times? Twenty times? After that, twenty-first time, say, you know what? Thank you very much. Missed call. You know, I'm not going to answer your call. But Allah is longing for it. Allah wants you to ask guidance. I mean, because Allah will guide you. He will. He created you. <laughs> so that's my answer is to get, find relief from all the distractions of Salah. And Salah incorporates Quran as well as the words of Allah. Allah the Quran says, only in the remembrance of Allah will your heart find rest. Only. No matter how big you think you are, in front of your creator, you are nothing. And subhanAllah, in one of the words where one of the most beautiful names Allah has given his is his, his slave, his slave, Abdullah. You're the slave of Allah. By enslaving to Allah, you become very rich, spiritually rich. You know, when it's such a Conundrum, you know, conundrum. You just by by being the slave of Allah, enslaving ourselves to Allah in 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 the sujood, in the lowest place on earth, you become free. <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs>